0: Thanks for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. Welcome to our podcast. We are the Stack Pack. We talk about unsolved mysteries, the 1990s television program. Um, as always, I'm David Howell, joined by my other Stack, stack
1: and Packers, uh,
0: Daniel Benavides, Rodan.
1: Hello. How's it going?
0: Hello. And, uh, <laughs> Eli, uh, Did you say yellow and Eli Elias Dominguez. I think he. Yolo? Yeah, I did say did YOLO. Did you say YOLO? Um, yeah, oh, I, think I thought I said you said D- YOLO. Uh, YOLO. 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 Hey. Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> and we got Eli um, in the DFW area. We'll keep it vague.
1: Eli, What's Gucci that, Gang, Beats? Dominguez.
0: Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang. Eli, Gucci Gang, um, Dan YOLO, and... David Soldier Boy, uh, I went back. <laughs> <laughs> you just showed your age, there, David. <laughs> we have no idea; these new trap rappers. Soldier Boy was like big on MySpace, huh? That was a long time ago. Uh, what's up, guys? We're covering season three, episode seventeen of the Stack of Unsolved Mysteries, um, the original Robert Stack series, um, as seen on Amazon Prime and Hulu. Um, I think it's still on Hulu. Actually, it's been a while since I've checked. Don't quote me on the Hulu part. Uh, there's a lot of shit in this one, so and it's all pretty good and mysterious and fucking...
1: No Lost Loves. The, it is, there's yeah. well, Lost Loves, yeah, but, but it's a good one. But oh, it's, that might have been when I took a nap.
0: No, no, the Lost Loves one is about the guy, um, the, the soldier ship, the who went ship. missing we'll when, down, when the ship went down. And so it's oh, it, 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 the, the oh, actual it's soldier boy. Yeah, yeah, it's not an actu- just...
1: An a- the real soldier boy. It's not, yeah, <laughs> an actual soldier
0: boy, like a literal soldier boy. Hey there!
1: Oh wait, that's Lonely Girl. My bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: he does Superman. That whole Superman. That whole yeah, that's Soldier Boy. Um, Get <laughs> it right, Soldier Boy. I told him. Soldier Boy, what? Yeah, that's way off. <laughs> All right, we're gonna start off with um, an unexplained death. I just picture a, a bunch of that new listener. God damn it, this podcast sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like what? This is about myster- mysterious things. Mysterious, mysterious.
1: <laughs> Who listens to these assholes? Um, well, <laughs> about
0: seven hundred people a week. So fuck you, and thank you for your listens, or uh, at least seven hundred people hit play. I don't know how it works. It's uh, just me hitting uh, his play seven hundred times. Click
1: farm is really paying off.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, it, that's what you guys have just been purchasing for me and making me think that we actually have like a kind of little small band of like loyal listeners. Uh, but you guys have just been paying like some, <laughs> no, 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 no. We have actually, Oh yeah, our friend, Dan, I know... I, I,
1: our friend Dan, that, that meet and greet you guys had, that cost me six grand. And oh yeah. Like you had to pay that guy to pretend like he listened to our <laughs> podcast.
0: No, no, we actually, that I mean, guy. Based, that guy. based on our, based on our, uh, interactions on Instagram, I, I know we have a, a few listeners, maybe a handful. We have a small band of stack packers, loyal stack packers. Yeah, so let's talk about murder. Bing. She's reacting Recovering. to
1: the EVP going, bitch. Bitch! Co- <laughs> bitch!
0: Every time you say something for some reason, Eli, you just, there's a ghostly Stop. voice that we can just hear that's just like, bitch! Stop! Bitch, you're, Stop a a bitch. You're, f- you're a bitch! You're fucking bitch! <laughs> I'm just like, Chloe, and then nothing. I scare Zoe, easy. Snowy, nothing, <laughs> and then you know everyone else in your house comes in, and, just then, have, and I say Eli, and then just bitch. <laughs> <laughs> <would> you <laughs> if you just saw two uh, dog, little baby dog paws, and just like grab me and take me under. Oh, <laughs> oh, imagine it's actually Chloe. Oh, like, what, what if the dog we... is murdering you? Oh, dude. God, Uh, Yeah, so this week is a really good episode. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's stop talking about the the creepy things that happened in my house. No, no, no. Uh, We're covering season three, episode 17. I said it because I know David would probably forget. (laughs) I I already said it at the beginning. Oh, did you? Yeah, but thanks. I didn't remember. Um, (laughs) So yeah, let's get into the story of Tracy Kirkpatrick. Um, she was third of four children. She was a sensitive girl. She was really into poetry. Um, she wrote, uh, she, she didn't write this poem, but she like wrote a nice little poem for her parents. That was a favorite poem of hers. It was kind of depressing. It kind of alluded to the fact that when I'm gone, remember me and all these nice little, you know, she spinned a yarn. She made it. It was a pretty poem that she liked and she like, I guess, gave it to her loved ones. And then she died, and she didn't kill herself, that's for sure. She's a nice girl, she had lots of friends, Um, her mom had insane hair. Yeah, dude, I I audibly laughed as soon as she came on, I felt so bad. Oh yeah, this was like, this was a mullet with like, it was like a mullet 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 with like an octopus, like tentacles... Like it was, it was weird. Like you know, mullet on steroids. It was like a buzz cut up top, but there was some long hairs like overflowing the, but like thin hairs, like not like a full mane of hair. Like it was, it was odd, folks. It was odd. It looked like (laughs) she went to a. (laughs) I feel bad talking shit about her. This girl's, this this woman's daughter died, but it looks like she, she got, she went to a barber shop.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Straight up buzz cut. Yeah, um, yeah, we're 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 not fooling anybody. We're we, you know probably not the most sensitive true crime podcast. Her fashion, okay, I feel like. Okay. Is, I stuck is, with them through the singing and the soldier boy jokes, but yeah. I draw the line. They're making fun <laughs> the of the insensitive th- comments. All they about can talk this. about there's a dead girl, and all they can talk about is the mom's hair. You gotta see it. Check our Instagram this week. I'll post it. It's insane. Um, hope I, I, I wish there was more angles, but it's only the talking head angle. So Tracy had a lot of friends. Uh, like I said, she had a couple of jobs apparently, but w- um, one was she, was she worked at a department store and she worked in the women's sporting section. And um, this is where she was working on March 15th of 1989. This day, she closed the place up by herself. And um, about 15 minutes before closing, she was alone by herself. And, like, that was, you know, she was closing up by herself, but there was 15 minutes where the store was still open where she was by herself. Mm -hmm. Then we cut to a couple of hours later where a security guard notices that the lights are still on in the store, which the store should definitely be closed. And then he opens the door and it is unlocked.
1: You mean it's not all controlled by corporate?
0: No, it's not controlled by corporate. We've been watching too much Superstore. It's lovely show. So unrealistic. (laughs) But it's so so fun. It's so funny. I love that show so much. Um, so the security guard goes in and finds Tracy's, as Robert Sachs says, lifeless body in the storage room. Um, it looked like she was stabbed. She was stabbed. So the security guard immediately calls the police. And, um, at the same moment that the security guard is finding this dead body and calling the police, um, is when the parents start to get worried and they... Um, get in the car and they drive down to the department store and by the time they get there there are cop cars outside and you know of course they're just thinking the worst and unfortunately that's exactly uh you know worst fears come to fruition oh man like, i i yeah i gotta say i hope i'm never put in that position like it's one thing when you're kind of talking have you ever had something bad and you're like talking yourself out of it you're just like uh oh, no that's not true That that's not really what's happening right now and then because they immediately thought that something wrong happened. Because they're like, "Our daughter should have been home an hour ago. Something's wrong." But the dad's like talking her down. And he's like, "No, no, no. Everything's fine." And then they go and there's cop cars. And sure enough, their daughter is murdered. That's gotta suck. I know. I'd be hate to be. I'd hate to be put in that position. Especially, it'd be so annoying. Like after you stab a girl, and then you have to like go and hide. And like, oh god, I feel so guilty. <laughs> Well, actually, you know, now they don't uh, I I at least when I worked in a department store uh, or a retail shop uh like 12 years ago, um they don't let you close by yourself anymore. They always keep two associates on. So, she forces her way in. There's a bunch of cops in front of the department store, and she like at first they don't know who she is, and she forces her way in, and she asks the right. cops if her daughter is all right. And her and the cop just says just shakes his head no.
1: Um, oh, no, when they cross the police line, she, they, she says, like, my daughter works here and just, like, storms through.
0: Well, yeah, yeah reenactments are really good. So, <laughs> so they're, trying to f- they're trying to figure out who would do something like this to this nice girl who had a bunch of friends and was real sensitive and sweet. And there was no motive, no enemies. She wasn't sexually assaulted. And um, there wasn't, like, the guy didn't rob the store. There didn't appear to be too much of a struggle. Um, and they had nothing for three months. They had nothing until, um, there was a weird confession call on some hot, like crime hotline, a confession hotline that's, or something. That, and that's kind of weird, right? A, a cop hotline. <clears throat> I yeah. i never it's, heard of it. It's weird. The call is super creepy. Like they played the actual call. It's
1: kind of like calling your Catholic priest. Yeah. Like, like a confession, uh, like a hotline confession. I
0: mean, that's pretty much what he did because he's like, my name is Don and I'm from, Frederick Maryland and
1: hi Don
0: and you think and he's like and, he's like and you yeah. think this would be incriminating me you, you know me uh discussing this but there's a lot of Dons and Frederick you know he had a <laughs> there's really a lot of Dons over here there's a lot of Dons over in Frederick you know <laughs> so uh, I just need to get off my chest there's nothing I can do about it so sorry it was, is he from is he from uh, it sounds like he's from North Dakota oh I, I wasn't trying to do that one but no oh you know him. sorry I stabbed her there you know sorry eh and there's just nothing I can do about it anymore. oh you know Bye. my my knife kind of got in the way of her of her chest plate you know there no no <laughs> Frederick and uh, Dan Dan was a little more I don't know but I don't know I'm the I'm just I'm spitballing this <laughs> accent sorry anyway so he admits to stabbing the girl he knows detail that he wouldn't uh, um that wasn't like you know in the paper. And, um, you know, he mentions that he, the girl was like, uh, in the department store and, um, he had like stopped there and talked to her a couple of times when she was working alone. Yeah. Details. Lots of (sighs) details. Yeah. They believed it to to be sincere. Yeah. It was even specific to the ladies sportswear department and he'd talked to her, like I said, and, and one night the convo turned into an argument and then he stabbed her. And then he's, he's, his, his exact words were he realized he created a lot of sadness, um, and he was sorry about it, but it's nothing he could do to change it. And then, um, and so they, so they immediately told the authorities about this call, and they traced the call to a supermarket in Walkersville, which is seven eight miles north of Frederick City. So, um, same area, Dan. Lots of Dans in Frederick. Lots um, of Dans. Um. So they actually composed a letter, and they put it in the paper that was trying to convince the guy to come forward. And give them more information. Nothing seemed to come out of that. The article was published on October 10th of 1989. Um, and nothing came from it. Two weeks later, the, some weird phone calls. Um, uh, the cops started receiving some weird phone calls. Uh, weird sh- ones. Yeah. This lady called uh, Martha, who was a... Uh, Martha Woodworth, who was a psychic. She was. She called the cops, then told them about a guy named Sean. Not Dan. Um, who is obsessed with who killed uh, Tracy, who wanted to know who killed Tracy. Um, And um, the psychic didn't have enough information to, you know, look into it or feel it or whatever. She needed more info. And I think, like, he sent her, like, a handwritten letter with more uh, details. And she said that she felt from the handwriting that it was disturbed and that... This guy was closer, like just from disturbed handwriting, a, right? Yeah. Weird. What does disturbed handwriting mean?
1: That's, I don't know.
0: But she like immediately called the police. She was like, this is, this this guy guy's seems, got the handwriting of a murderer. He's got that murder, hand, murderer handwriting. <laughs> Martha calls the cops and she's like, ah, I'm kind of concerned about this guy. who has been calling me. And then, um, the officer plays her over the phone, um, the call that Dan made the confession to the Las Vegas hotline. And she's like just a hundred percent dead set that it's the same voice that she'd been talking to. Sean Don is what the cop starts calling him. Sh- At Sean one point Dan. he's like, I don't know. Sean Don. I don't know. Sean Don. Um, And she was, she was like, it was really chilling to, you know, be talking to this guy about this murder of this girl named Tracy. And then to hear the same voice confess to Stabbing and killing her. And that is very, very scary. Um, And she had no further contact. And uh, Sean Don is just a mystery for a while. And then the cops also, they look into the return address that these letters were sent from. That uh, the sidekick received. And the person was not a Sean or a Don um, that lived at this return address. So the next idea they have is they broadcast the confession call over local uh, a local radio station. And three people called in and recognized the voice as this kid um, who was not named Sean, nor Don, but he did live at this address. So they checked the apartment and they could not find any evidence. Um, they examined it. They found stuff that they thought might lead to, uh, you know, more of a story, but they couldn't find anything. They just found paper clippings about Tracy's murder, but no evidence And he wasn't very cooperative and, um, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't prove anything. So March 20th of 1989, they bury poor Tracy and, um, that poem, the sad poem about her family remembering her is engraved on her. Oh, dude, that scared the shit out of me, Eli. (laughs) Fuck, dude. Oh man. Oh, dude. I just got like the heebie jeebies. So for you, you guys listening, like you know, Skype video, you can like send a little picture. But it's dude, it looked like it looked like Tracy's mom was calling us on Skype or something. What? Oh my god, dude, again? Oh my god, what
1: the fuck?
0: It, I was just like, why she looks the same? <laughs> it just freaked me out. So he just sent a picture of Tracy's mom to the group chat, and just like in the corner of the screen, like a Skype call. It just. Uh, Oh my god Oh no She's like don't talk about my daughter Fuck
1: That was scary
0: Oh dude that was good I didn't realize it was going to come in like that I thought honestly I didn't think you would see it And I thought uh, Dan was going to get it on his phone It scared me So um All they found was just (laughs) A bunch of uh, newspaper clippings Of uh Uh Articles about Tracy's murder, but no Tracy. And, um, you know, the weirdest, creepiest thing is that apparently this Sean slash Don character who wasn't Sean or Don. Sean Don, not Sean Don. (laughs) Sean Don, not Sean Don. Sean Don, not not Sean Sean Don Don was cleared as a fucking suspect. How do you? That's weird. I don't understand that. You think there just wasn't evidence and he just maintained innocence and that's it? Like, you can't even find his name. I don't know. I didn't look much more into this one. Not Sean
1: or Don. Yeah, I know Sean, Dan did. Sean, Sean, Don, not, his, Sean Don, not Dan, Sean Don.
0: Did you, look, Dan, did you find Dan was outside? on his phone getting dirt.
1: Yeah, um, after further investigation, they were able to conclude that Sean Don really wasn't a credible suspect. He was just a disturbed individual. Um, they believe, in fact, that the murderer was Barnes Jr., the security guard that found her.
0: Oh whoa. wow! Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> also at
1: the same time, his dad was the chief of police, and uh, they suspected that you know, like he got into an argument with her and killed her, and then had an hour to try to clean up the case, and then called his dad into cover for him. Whoa! Um, but to this day, what? It, dun dun dun! Oh, that good. To that's good. That's a good it twist. Still is un solved and unconfirmed, but that's what the leading.
0: Dude, I would have never thought the security guard would have done something like that, but man that makes so much sense. It's like the only other person involved. It's like a Scooby-Doo uh, episode. I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those stack pack kids. <laughs> if it wasn't for the meddling crew of Unsolved Mysteries and and sleuthing in 20 years, yeah, we didn't have anything to do with it. You so, guys, yeah. we, we ain't spreading no airs. We, we don't think we're, we, you know, we ain't going around thinking like we're contributing anything to this. <laughs> we're just having fun. We're just having fun. Do, do people really think that these guys these guys are going to solve any mysteries? Oh man, you know they never solve a mystery. It's like people that watch that show Ghost Adventures. <laughs> they never find any ghosts. What the fuck? Or, the, or this is what I used to say about that show, Ghost Hunters. It was on Sci-Fi. I used to watch it like when I was a teenager and I was younger. I'd be like, you know it's real because they, like, never find anything, you know? So, like, when they do, it's like, damn, you know? Like, because they don't believe it. And I'm just like, no, I'm just, I'm, just, so, yeah, I'm full um, of shit. I'm full of shit.
1: They believe, they've narrowed it down to two suspects. Uh, of the two is Don Barnes Jr., the security guard who found her body. Um, his daughter claimed that he was abusive towards her and her mother. Um, his daughter also believes that he was involved in the murder and the cover-up of the crime because his father was the chief of police during the time of his murder.
0: Damn, that's good. I mean, that's not good, but you know what I mean. That that adds some deep intrigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's- In 2009, they did uh, run some DNA samples from the scene of the crime, but to this day, there has been no identity of the killer. Hmm. The killer hasn't been identified still. You know,
0: ever since i watched that or listened to Bear Brook, I'm thinking about like how can they solve this through ancestry (laughs) through 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 dna jed Jed match (laughs) jed match 23 and me um yeah so next um there's a they they give a little update on the amelia Earhart um case and they just talk about a navigator's bookcase that would have been inside of a plane that uh would have been manufactured around the same year uh, around the same time that before amelia Earhart left on her journey um and it was on this island called, uh, Nikum, Nikumuru, Nikumururu. Yeah. Nikumururu. Nikumururu. Niku, so they found this, uh, navigator's bookshelf is what they called, it. That would have been manufactured be- right before she left. Um, you know, it's something, but we, Dan and I watched a whole long documentary on Amelia Earhart today. Um, and it seems like, um, what we covered on Unsolved Mysteries, like, I think, it's like, parts of all of those stories, I think, could be true. Like, you know, the way the story went there is like, you know, she was on this little island for a couple of days, and maybe that's where everybody heard the mysterious uh, radio tra- you know transmissions from all around the world that they heard, and then these the Japanese, Japanese intercepted her distress yeah. calls
1: and was able to find like, out hey, where she was really at. Close. Yeah.
0: And then they take them. And then the people that saw, uh, a people that remember white people that were apparently American spies on the island being taken into captivity by the Japanese. And they all remember a white guy with a big nose and a lady who was wearing pants and had short hair. And what the fuck? That's right. weird. Yeah, and you know, and they piece together all these like pieces, and it's just like, there's your then, story. And then they talk like, about, oh. and then they talk about the girl who saw them both being executed and put into a hole. And there was yeah. bones found in 1968. Like, you know, they're they're missing now, but they've found like a part of a skull and like hundreds of bone fragments in um, that area that she said she saw the people y- executed. Yeah. In 1968 there was a uh an excavation and um, that's the story that i believe the most uh, for sure well there's that that lady had no she was like 12 from there she was a native well there's the one girl that was really little and then there was this the other lady who said that she saw them but she was um she wasn't the one on unsolved mysteries it's confusing there's a couple of
1: so there was multiple accounts one of the last transmissions that Amelia Earhart sent out was that she was 280 miles northeast, was it? Or northwest?
0: It was like 280 North Howland. And they're like, away from? or So north, they went... North of Howland? They went like
1: 281 they degrees north of Howland, uh, the island that she was supposed to land at, and found complete open ocean and figured like she wasn't there. Uh, but they what they realized is due to uh, the weather uh, that she was flying in the the airstream was actually different than what was expected, as well as a storm that she was flying into. That if they would have actually flown two hundred and eighty miles northwest of Howland Island, they would have found the island that she presumably landed on.
0: Mm. So where did they go? They she, they just went north. Not northwest. They
1: went two eighty degrees northwest, not two hundred and eighty oh, miles. Not miles. So so she was estimated two hundred and eighty miles off of her trotted course.
0: Yeah, and they just found ocean out there and then two hundred and then the other one was the islands that they she yeah. landed on. So it's yeah, it's it's, it's a good one. Could um, all have been true. Yeah, it's like it's like parts of all these stories could make one. They all like, kind of ring out. I, I've, I've never heard it. I've never heard it put. You know, factual
1: I, evidence, not circumstantial.
0: Well, it's like yeah. the unsolved mysteries. They say all these things that might have happened, but then the documentary kind of gave it like a sort of timeline to where, and they don't prove everything. But you know, it, it was like that picture that was found a couple of years ago. Remember, of, of her sitting on the dock with her back. You didn't see this. No, I don't think I saw that. It was, like, a picture found in 14 or 15 of, like, a bunch of natives on this, on the island of, like, how was it, Jatul or something? And, um... Jaku? And and they were able to identify the ship as the ship that a bunch of the people on the island said took away these two American spies. And they were able to, like, uh, tell you... They were able to see something on the back of the ship that it was hauling that, like, um, by, you know size comparison they were able to say it was about 38 feet which would have been the exact size of amelia earhart's plane and so like you see amelia earhart sitting on the dock and there's like a bunch of natives like you see them they're dark and then you see um the navigator and he's got like a pompadour and he's got big hair and a big widow's peak and he's taller than all of them he's white and see that and that they authenticated that picture that was found in the what was it the american uh what's it called
1: uh shit it's uh the
0: american institute the, uh, no it's the oldest <gasps> archive the
1: it's the archive but the specific the uh, national s- archive national archive but the specific sector was for the uh naval something of intelligence and it's the oldest intelligence agency in the u.s government
0: they were able to and they had some photographic uh, uh, experts that were like yeah she has distinctive broad shoulders and like you know, there wouldn't be much white ladies in you know this random island in that's under Japanese control. There and then, you know.
1: Yeah, they were saying like the likely the the likelihood of a white or an Anglo-Saxon person in the area would be of a religious ministry, and in that case, they would not have you know short hair. They would not be wearing pantsuits, right, or right, pants. Right. Um, they would be you know more traditional. So. The likelihood that that is her in the photograph is pretty high, about 78 Dude, to 85. That's crazy. Percent. That's the first I've heard of this. That's awesome. And then, uh, Saipan
0: is where they think you know, the army base and where she was held prisoner and executed is what they think. Um, and yeah, they were saying, you know, there's like three, four, there's different, there's lots of witnesses. And they were saying they're like, they're like, if there was a, you know, if there was a white woman in Saipan, if there was any white women in there, it, like they wouldn't have short hair or not be wearing a dress. Who took that picture? Do they know?
1: Uh, um, the photograph it was intelligence, intelligence, right? was, uh, intelligence uh, leading up to World War II. They actually basically claimed that uh, Amelia Earhart and her navigator, Frank, were the first victims of World War II.
0: Yeah, the, the, they didn't. Um, they the were, first
1: U.S. US casualties. They,
0: they, they were surveilling and trying to figure out what the Japanese were doing. So when they got, like, intelligence that Amelia Earhart was in Japanese, you know, was in the hands of the Japanese, they didn't want to – what's the word? They didn't want to fucking break their cover. They didn't want to let them know they were watching almost. So they think that they just They didn't want Japan
1: to know that we had figured out their communications and the codes and acknowledged because, you know, Japan didn't say that they potentially had Amelia Earhart – But yet our naval intelligence uh, agency was able to...
0: There's documents that are, like, saying... uh, Of them, you know, hearing about Amelia Earhart and um, still talking about possible sightings way after they said that she crashed and she's dead. So they were, you know, they were still interested and they still, you know, it's like... They didn't believe it.
1: That's super interesting. That's really interesting. I guess you could say it's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Next week we're talking about Titanic. No,
1: um, all right. Only. Yeah.
0: So that was just an update, but we got really into Amelia Earhart today. So you're welcome. <laughs> this next one we're going to be talking about is a real. He's an asshole. Yeah. This next one is wanted. It's a wanted case. Um. Anybody gonna do the Bon Jovi? Want it? Wanted. it we, we should just play. Dead
1: or alive. Yeah. I, I should. I that. should
0: just drop in. Um, wanted theme music. I don't know why I don't. It would be very easy. Um, so we're going to be talking about a fella named Steve Wilson, who, in the year of our Lord nineteen seventy six, rolled into Olancho, California, and he was a rugged old pilot with the charm of four squirrels in a oil barrel. What? I don't. I don't know. Um, oh man! So he was charming and rugged, and everybody liked him. And he was like uh, handy, and apparently a pilot. Um, sorry, I thought I said all and those he, things. And, but like, and he that...
1: had a sissy middle name of Leslie. Oh Leslie, Steve Leslie Wilson. Um, but some of his aliases were awesome, like John Harden, or John Hardy, or John Stephen Harden.
0: God, just like Big Dick, D- Big Dick, <laughs> Dick, Dick Johnson. Dick Johnson. Johnson Hard Dick. What?
1: <laughs> and, his, and his most famous one, Michael Longschlong. No. <laughs> no, I'm just making that one. <laughs> uh,
0: Michael Longschlong. He was pretending to be a Mikael. Russian immigrant. Um, so apparently he was, he was a lot of fun. He was uh, well, Is James Harden real? John Harden? Is that real? <laughs> that, that's
1: one of his aliases. Okay. John Harden is actually John Harden. Of- <laughs> I mean, John Wesley Harden,
0: like the fucking West, like the outlaw. But it also just sounds like a, like a porn star name.
1: Um, so John Harden. Ooh, what what is John Harden? It's starring in today.
0: So he, so he rolls into Elancho, California, and he starts taking odd jobs at this big old ranch. Um, and this ranch was uh, ran by good old Bill Thornburg, and. Um, Good old Bill Thornburg was a good old horseman, and he was the boss of this here good old ranch. Good old. And he also had a sweet little peach named Callie, Callie Thornburg, and boy, if she just didn't catch the eye of our darling Steve Leslie Wilson. Steve, Steve Wilson, sorry. Yeah, uh, Steve Sorry, I, I was too busy waxing poetically in my fun cowboy <laughs> homestead person voice. So, um... He fell for Callie, the daughter, Steve, and uh, Callie date for nine months. And then with Bill's um, and with Bill's blessing, they run off to Reno and get married, um, you know, probably by an Elvis or something. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, they probably didn't do that when Elvis was still alive, huh? I don't think so. <laughs> that wasn't, like, a cool, like, niche, like, thing to get married by Elvis if Elvis is, like, actually... Still performing in Las Vegas. When did that start? I wonder. I don't know. But so Kelly says that immediately when her dad's like, Go ahead, you crazy kids and get married, she's like on the way to Reno. She's like This is a bad idea. Fuck, like I need to get out of this. Yeah, like she was thinking of ways. Um how terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, and of course the marriage was an immediate disaster. Um, yeah, he immediately became an asshole and grew a big-ass, thick porn star mustache. Yeah, he was, uh... And that's when he turned into Big Dick Harden. That's when he came in, yeah. <laughs> that's when Big Dick came to town. <laughs> so she moved back in with her dad, and because Steve was, uh... You know, verbally abusive, and uh, they don't get into it. But he was a dick. Steve was not welcome at the ranch house anymore. And then he started threatening Bill and Callie. They were getting increasingly worried. This is one of the reenactments. Is like, I didn't know he was so crazy. Yeah, I got to say that I'm, I was kind of impressed by the by Bill, the the actor who played Bill. I was kind of impressed with his acting chops. Oh, he was not. great. Um, the girl who played Callie couldn't look more different than Callie. Oh, absolutely. Not even the slightest bit of resemblance. Mm, she was like blonde for one. So, anyways, shortly after that, uh, he shows up all coked up. Right, Steve shows up in Dude, his Dude, the reenactment in this part is so funny. When he's like, he's like, Callie, get out here! And he's like, he this actor, he's a terrible actor, but he's really giving it his all. He like he's shakes like, his little body. Like th- this <laughs> actor looks like he's probably like, ooh, like five four and he, five five tops. And have he you seen just that, shakes uh, with fear. Oh, he's yeah. so have angry. He reminds me, have you seen that old SNL skit with uh, Will Ferrell where he's the boss, the bad boss? Yeah. No. Where uh, that guy comes up and he, he one of the one of the employees, he's like, I've been lifting weights and doing cocaine all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, Scott Jurgensen. Oh, I'm going to actually murder you. <laughs> With Pierce Brosnan, that's what's happening. Now they that were, I remember. I think that, I think that era of SNL, they probably were all having some fun doing cocaine. Yeah. Apparently Horatio Sands works. and Jimmy Fallon were like the fucking drunk party animals of that crew. The actor who plays Steve comes in, and uh, yeah, you're right, he's like shaking, he's just angry. As, he's <laughs> Callie, you get out he here! He looks like a, a little person. Um... <laughs> I will hurt you yeah yeah he comes out and threatens and, and before he's calling them and saying like shit like loving me is easier than staying away and running oh, away right. from me and he he was saying and he, say, he was saying stuff like I'll hurt you worse than you've ever been hurt before and um, so like yeah th- it's like three weeks after they break up when he shows up with his little angry tiny man throws <laughs> a fit and beats the beats Bill's Pick up all the shit. Yeah, it's so weird. He's just like shaking, and he's like, "Come out here, Callie," and then he's like, "I love you, Callie," while well, he's you. just destroying the the dad's uh, car. It's super funny. Yeah, I told my wife. Um, I said, "Oh yeah, because that's how you win a woman's heart, right?" By <laughs> driving up destroying all- destroying Coca. her daddy's pickup. <laughs> what did what did he want her? What did he want her to do? Okay, stop. I'll go home with you. <laughs> I'm going with you. So, he had the gun out. Uh, Bill Thornburg, daddy, had the gun out. And he should have shot him and, right there. And she, apparently, she says she stopped him. She's like, it's not worth it. And uh, I think he's going to wish he did. I wonder, I wonder if she feels guilty about that. They can she fucking should, Callie, if you're listening. You suck, Callie. I, like, man, she could have saved her dad's life if they just beat, if, they, if she just pulled that trigger on that crazy. Callie, if you're listening, you suck. <laughs> so, this is a couple days later. I presume um, the day is May 29th of nineteen seventy nine. Um, Bill leaves early in the morning to do his chores around the ranch, and uh, he never returns. So Callie starts to get worried um, after about fifteen or twenty minutes of not seeing her dad show up. So she drives around. Uh, no, she actually she walked up and she to the water line. I guess is like uh, what, like by the river, is what they mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and she finds her dad's truck with um, coffee that's still piping hot um, on the dash. And her dad is nowhere to be seen. And that's the last time anybody saw Bill or Steve. Um, Steve also disappeared. And th- nobody knew what happened. And it was just a missing persons, both of them missing kind of thing until seven months later. And seventh m- Seven months later was actually Christmas Eve of 1979. This is very uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is. Yeah. I forgot about that poor little dirt bike kid in in Breaking Bad. Aw. Okay, anyway. So 45 minutes south of the ranch house that belonged to Bill Thornburg, um, a teenager who was riding his dirt bike uh, found skeletal remains of a body. So this is seven months later. And this body was already uh, skeleton, and um, it's hot out there in the desert, you know. But um, th- I guess this kid was like, nobody believes me. He was a regular Tommy Doyle.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he had to, he had to take a, he had to disturb the crime scene. Yeah. And ride all the <laughs> way Nobody's home with this, this human skull in his backpack.
0: Yeah, he, he, he took the fucking skull <laughs> and put it. In his, you know what? Honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't blame him. I don't fault him for that. Because I'd be like, dude, I'm the kid who just, like, told everybody that Michael Jackson... What what is it in (laughs) the fucking stabbed by me? Like, you said Michael Jackson went to your... It's like, it's like that time you said... Oh, no, it's the Goonies. (laughs) The fat kid. Chunk. He's like, it's like that time you said Michael Jackson went to your house because his car broke down. He's like, okay, guys, it was lying. It was his sister. (laughs) So yeah, it's like that. Um, so Chunk takes the uh, <laughs> takes the skeleton home, and then immediately, you know, the, um, the parents tell the cops, and then there's a crime scene out there, and they're like immediately able to to determine that it's Bill Thornburg's uh, skeletal remains. So a year and a half goes by after that. Um, 1981. Um, Steve Wilson is arrested. He's arrested. By he he was spotted in Alaska by a game warden, mm-hmm. and I guess they followed him and tracked him all the way to Vegas, where they arrested him in Las Vegas, and he pleaded guilty to murder, and um, they he got stuck in Folsom Prison, yeah, uh, for twenty five to life, twenty five years to life, and he was just hanging on. Yeah. What, what are those lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah. So Steve. Wilson uses his charm and his rugged uh, umness and his good sense with a tool and his mustache and his, or did he shave the mustache? Oh no no, he musta- has the mustache. I don't know. Um but he used all these things to get a job um in the work program of the prison where guess what they were making guys license plates. <laughs> no uh they actually no do surprise that. Surprise there. Yeah. So he charmed his way into all the guards' hearts and uh one of he, one of the guards even says like you, he's like I never had a better what do you say like I never had a better clerk and he's yeah. a model prisoner. He's like get a fucking room.
1: <laughs> um get yeah, room. he really liked him.
0: Um, and he fooled everybody, you know. Everybody thought he was just tops. That he was just neat. He was just neato. He was he was just the bees knees. He was really keen. <laughs> <laughs> like keen <laughs> um, yeah best clerk that the this guy had ever had um, and he eventually worked his way up to a uh, supervising position and this position kind of allowed him to you know walk around to all parts of the factory and make sure everybody was Everything was going smoothly, but what this also provided him with was an excuse to not specifically be everywhere. So you know where the guards aren't like, oh, where the fuck, Steve? He's like, oh, he could be over- He could be in one of like five, six different places yeah. overseeing the whole operation. Where's <laughs> Steve? Anybody seen him? <laughs> Has anybody Anybody seen seen, anybody seen Steve? He's such a charming sweetheart. I just need to see (laughs) his beautiful face. Charming son of a bitch. Where'd you go? (laughs) Where is that sweet sweet man? (laughs) It was it in Lodge Forty Nine. What do they call the like the black guys like Nemesis, like handsome, pretty, pretty, pretty pretty Jeff? Handsome yeah. Jeff, Handsome Jeff, Jeff. dude. Lodge Forty Nine is a really cool show. I haven't seen it. I haven't even heard of it. It's it's so as to explain it is fucking. It's it, they just it's an AMC show. Nobody watched, but they're giving it a second season, and they just put it on Hulu. It's it's <laughs> like a stoner version. It's like uh, it's like if the Big Lebowski joined the Masons. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's so weird. Hey, you know what I realized too in the reenactment? They didn't. Uh, they didn't properly put the seal on that door.
1: The, uh, <laughs> I, I looked at Dave. Yeah. I was like. Looks like they didn't seal the door. <laughs> well, I, when when, well, you when he jumped about? into the trailer and they built the wall of boxes and they closed the door, they show him putting like a security seal. But it's only around but they one. They only go through the latch. They don't go yeah, through don't the latch go, and the lock. It. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, you know I mean?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. They they to- they totally didn't they didn't lock it. Well, maybe they did that on purpose <laughs> because. Some of the people helped him get out, right? Oh, no, they they, they caused a distraction. But, okay, so wait. Let, th- before we make fun of the scene, let's explain what happens. So one day he decides, all right, you know, let's get out of here. And basically his idea is to hide in the back of one of these uh, trucks that's taking the license plates. Um, and apparently, I didn't notice this the first time I watched it, but they said that this was the this, – this was um, – there hadn't been a prison break at Folsom in 15 years. But this was – Pretty much identical to the way that the last guy got yeah, out. Yeah, Apparently, like they get out. They didn't learn their lesson the first time, so yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. beef up security. <laughs> so, so he escapes through this thing. But what we're making fun of is apparently some of the prisoners created a distraction so he could get out of there. And there's um, this guy on a forklift who like backs up into like another guy. And the reenactment... Hey! It, yeah, no, the reenactment... So he backs up, and the guy... It's like, oh, like, they barely tap. And the guy, like, swings his arm up and goes, like, hey! Oh,
1: and the best is the warden. Now, what have I told you about this safety? We talked about <laughs> safety before, right? Safety, safety. No, he doesn't safety, even, safety. He doesn't
0: even say that much. Dan and I were also laughing. Yeah, he says... Like, what no, have no, no. I
1: told you about that safety yeah yeah yeah
0: he says, he's like, like like one of the guys is like you know backs up into the he's like hey like it's just so vague <laughs> hey I told you about that safety <laughs> like what which is we another one no of sense. my it's just adding to my proof like hey, what I told you about safety it's like these guys they were just like there was no script in these reenactments really I don't know
1: there really was I don't know it wasn't like what have I told you about turning blind corners with the forklift. <laughs> it was what have I told you about what? See. What I tell you
0: about safety in general, safety. So he he's in the back of this truck. It gets out of there. It's artificially sealed. It's artificially sealed. Um, he has 10 snips, and he cuts his way out of the roof. Like like as this. As the truck pulls away, he starts cutting his way out of the roof. With, and and with where, does, really where does that sip?
1: truck stop 10 minutes after pulling out of the prison? The it bowling stops at the, alley. Because yeah. they got the and best why coffee, Why does he right?
0: stop at a bowling alley? Because they got the best coffee, duh. <laughs> That's what, exactly what I told Dan. I was like, he knows where the best coffee in town is, and it's this... Alley. Uh, I think
1: that's just what he's saying. I think he really stopped in to pick up a few frames.
0: He has a fucking cargo of license plates. Like who cares? <laughs> it's not like, urgent no rush, you know? Yeah. No
1: one's gonna mind if I knock out twenty frames over a cup of joe.
0: In <laughs> twenty frames. Yeah, exactly. But come on. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. I was gonna mention it if you guys didn't.
1: Not a coffee shop, not a donut shop. Fucking bowling alley. For coffee, really? All the cigarette butts. If it was nachos, I could see that. I could see that, too. Bowling alleys are known for their nachos, but coffee? He had a
0: truck full of license plates. Who's going to steal it? Who cares?
1: Yeah, he's he probably going to stay in that town anyway, so
0: fuck it. He just went and got drunk at the bowling alley. So Steve pops out of this little hole he created with the 10 snips he stole from the, from the you know, work workhouse. The, the metal shop at the prison. Metal shop, yeah. Workhouse, whatever. Uh... I mean, no no words. Hey, I gotta say though, at least it weren't the fact that he stole them. At least they couldn't be used to shank another inmate. Okay. Yeah,
1: they were dual purpose.
0: He saved uh, the life of a inmate. Instead, they had to um, fashion a shiv, and that was way too much work.
1: Instead, yeah. they had to do a, a soap so, shiv. Soap, soap shank. Or, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what it is. <laughs> soap shank. Soap shank. Or, or a shiv out of a plastic like. Uh, well, fork. shiv
1: is is the is the concept of getting stabbed. Right? <laughs> Isn't the shank the knife or the? No, no,
0: no, 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 no. A shiv is anything that's like make a makeshift sharpie, th- anything sharp and makeshift. Yeah, is a and shiv. what is a shank? Same thing.
1: <laughs> so what's a shiv shank?
0: So, soap soap shake. Uh, soap shank is my ska band from the nineties.
1: Oh, really? When's your new album coming out?
0: Uh, we broke up. We oh. all died of heroin except me.
1: We're on a hiatus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, anyway, so um, he pops out of the hole and takes off into the night. Um, he's actually, um, um, and then they played this interview where he was interviewed by a psychiatrist before he escapes, and he's like, "I don't know if I knew I was going to kill him, but I just, I went, I just went to Murder City." Like he says something weird like that. Take me down to Murder's. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the update is that after a while he was arrested uh there was a tip um that he was hanging out in england um fbi got a tip
1: oh oh no no Uh, oh this is good you're gonna love this and they found him at a hotel
0: what was he doing in that hotel so is there
1: so so here's the update it wasn't a tip so what had happened was uh they were tipped off on who he really was and where he was hiding out in florida and before they could arrest him he flew off to london and that's where his girlfriend is told to meet him. So the FBI just followed her over to London and was just like, hey, hey fancy seeing you here.
0: Nice. That guy's a piece of shit. So he had a girlfriend?
1: Yeah. So what, was like, it Callie? No. Let's see. Captured February 1990. Uh, it was featured on America's Most Wanted, a man named Glenn Moyer of Oscola, oh, Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vanished shortly before the story aired. His girlfriend and neighbors soon realized that Meyer was actually Wilson. He reportedly learned that his stories would be on, or his story would be on the show after reading a TV guide. Uh, Despite the fact that he was wanted for murder, his girlfriend remained in contact with him. The FBI placed her under surveillance, and in March of 92, she flew out to meet him where the FBI followed her.
0: He was tipped off (laughs) by the damn TV guide. <laughs> Different times.
1: Wow. <laughs> so yeah, like they they weren't so much tipped off. They were just like, oh, he has a girlfriend. Let's just follow her. Smart,
0: S- smart on those, uh, <laughs> smart on those cops. That's some good. Yeah. that's some good copping. That's some good detective work. So next we have a lost loves, and it's not a typical lost loves. It's not like some like lonely orphan who was like put on a train. But I got to say, oh, did we
1: miss, oh, was the last story where you and I just like stared at each other and did the piano? Oh, that's all it. <laughs> Dude, There's some good music, man. You know,
0: I, I, the more I listen to these, I'm like, they got to do an album of those murder cues. Like, Oh, yeah.
1: And did you notice that we we got a new intro this episode? Oh, um, yeah, we did. I did notice that. You're talking about it. Was it this
0: right? episode or oh, maybe it was like half season? Because we, um, I think this episode, the la- last week was January 23rd. This episode aired uh, January 30th of 1991. Ah, that's some good info. Dude, 91. That was almost 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So we got an interesting Lost Loves. Um, eh, There's intrigue and mystery. So I'm just going to jump right into it here uh in world war ii um there was a sailor named frankie bloomer and uh he was born in 1921 he enlisted in the navy and he served as a radio technician um on a navy vessel called the uss rowan so one fall day off the coast of italy a german u-boat sank the rowan and uh 202 soldiers were killed frankie bloomer was actually one of the ones that was not confirmed killed and he was actually reported missing in action his family actually hears about this when they're like, they hear about the sinking of the Rowan on the radio and then they learned that there's someone missing in action. So they kind of like started this like lifelong familial long thing to figure out what happened to their son, Frankie. Um, they noticed a photograph that had three survivors of the Rowan and one kid sitting in the middle looked so much like Frankie that it really gave them hope. Um, they took pictures to an, to a, an expert who was actually just a mortician. Yeah, I was going to say, Jeff. how did he, how was this guy an expert,
1: but he's also a mortician? Oh I, I see a lot of dead faces, so I'm good at telling you if the photograph matches the dead person. I'm good, yeah. I'm good at
0: faces. Well, let me tell you what. I may be a mortician, but I'm also Jack Burton. Uh, checks in the mail. <laughs> checks in the mail. Pilgrim. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> oh man, Kurt Russell, God bless Um, oh, Good old Kurt, that's, Kurt and Goldie that's I what, wish Kurt and Goldie That's one of my What's favorite up? movies, man That's one of my favorite movies <laughs> up. Big Trouble in Little China references We're doing them <laughs> No other you know, podcast like the, out there is doing those Oh yeah No, I'm sure there is Do you know there was like a five minute conversation Like I, I listened to the whole audio commentary Of Big Trouble Little China And it's just John Carpenter and Kurt just john and kurt two buddies catching up and they were like and he's like i always trusted you like we'd have like a one conversation about the character and that was it and their one conversation was like john wayne okay okay it's like john wayne but like he sucks at everything like he's just the worst action hero and they said that the studio was like not into it like they purposely wanted like the chinese guy you know to be the one who kicked ass yeah you know, during all the fight sequences, Jack Burton's, like, knocked out or <laughs> he loses his weapon or something, you know? Like, they wanted to they wanted to turn it on the side. Like, this guy, you know, he may have sort of saved the day, but not really. Like, he just bumbling idiot, bumbles kind of, his way yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. Checks in the mail. So she takes them to this expert who's the fucking mortician, and he's like, yep, that's him. I'm sure of it. So Frankie's mom continues to search um, for Frankie, and she would always believed that her son was still alive until she died in 1971. And then her granddaughter, who's kind of the, the bearer of the story, um, her name was Janie Bloomer, and now she continues to search for her uncle Frankie. And she'll never, you know, she would remember as being a kid, and um, just there would be a cake on the table, and she'd eat with her grandparents, and the grandparents never forgot. They'd be like, "That's it's Frankie's birthday, we're having cake. Um, so now Janie has continued the search. She's taken it up for her grandparents. Um, 12 years ago, Janie's parents actually built a little memorial headstone for Frankie so they can, you know, there's a place and it's around the plot where all the rest of the family lives. And, um, she never, she's never given up the search, I guess. She, they're still looking for uncle Frankie, even though I'm sure he just wasn't confirmed dead because you just, you know, died in the ocean. The yeah, he's just at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know. But um, there's an update, and the update is that one of the men uh, saw and saw mysteries that was in the photo, and he could confirm that the guy in the middle was definitely not dear Frankie Bloomer. Which I also thought so, too, man. That didn't look nothing like him. It didn't really. I didn't no. think the picture looked like him at all. Yeah, it's like skinny kid with eye, with kind of feminine eyebrows. Yeah. That's about it. All right, so the next the next one is a the next one is kind of a doozy as well. Oh yeah, this one's good. This one was Chuck filled with, with lots of good ones. The next one was next there anything week- left? Was there anything more on uh, Frankie Bloomer?
1: No, not really. The yeah. U.S. Navy it, it agrees that he passed away on. Uh, on the ship. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's Filler. Terry Crossgrove, I I I see you. So, this one's a missing persons, and um, uh, this one just seems like another kind of circumstances of just a sad story. Um, You know, the time and the subject matter um, probably is what led to this, you know, girl not living past her 22nd birthday. So, this is a missing persons. In 1965, Judith Hyams um, was a 22-year-old medical student. uh, No, sorry, she was a medical technician she lived in Coral Gables, Florida, and she was apparently pregnant and unmarried. And, um, which was taboo, she, in which was time. very taboo. Yeah. You couldn't do that. Um, and she went through an illegal abortion, illegal being the biggest word. Um, I'll say it right now, man, if fucking <laughs> if abortion wasn't illegal, this lady, this girl probably would not be dead. Um, but, yeah, not to get too political, um, but, you know, shit. <laughs> it's too late. You already did. I don't care. She would totally be alive if it wasn't for fucking shitheads. So, apparently, Judith learned that she was pregnant in August of 1965. Um, she went to the doctor to get a pregnancy test, and she used a fake name. She used the name B. Kinney, and this was what kind of, you know, gave credence to the theory that she was trying to keep this secret, um... They even talked to her, her best friend, who says that she had no idea of anything of, of you know anything like that. Um, so there was they definitely evidence that she was trying to keep this on the hush. The day she disappeared, she actually took three hundred dollars out of her bank account, and she apparently told friends that she was going shopping. She told buy her friends she was going to buy a yeah she was going to buy a nice watch. <clears throat> That's a lot of skrilla but, for that time. Yeah, for sure, and and of course they assume that she used it for this illegal abortion. I want to emphasize that. Um, yeah, a bunch of old white men murdered her. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> who don't? A bunch of old white men that don't have vaginas murdered her. Okay, sorry, that's enough. <laughs> um, so what they guess is she made arrangements for an illegal abortion and paid somebody, and then blah. blah who wasn't blah. a doctor, by the way? The guy was not a doctor, <laughs> not a real doctor. Yeah, anyway. yeah. This guy that we're talking about that she made arrangements was apparently named George Hazu, and he was a Hungarian immigrant who posed as a physician or a doctor. He definitely was not, um, and he ran an illegal clinic in Coral Gables. Um, So they think that, you know, a number of things could have gone wrong with that because um, after she went to go shopping or took this money out, she was never seen Again, you know, the friend is telling us that, you know, when they talk about the abortion that she's like, well, there really wasn't much choice back then. And and, um, she just kind of wishes, like, if she's still alive and fine, like, none of this stuff is taboo anymore, which it kind of still was, not as much as she was saying, not as much (coughs) as it was back then. But, you know, I think still a lot of it was kind of taboo. Like, in the early 90s, um, having a – being a young unwed mother was still, you know – I mean, not like it was in the fucking 60s, but still, you know, I think it was still kind of taboo. There's the friend who says, like, she's like, she was a lab tech. I don't think she would have died during an abortion. It's like, that's uh, kind of different. Lab technician and, like, a medical doctor. Like, like she would have been smart enough to, like, get better help. But, like, that's not really how that works, you know? <laughs> so it was September 15th in 1965 when she went missing. This is the day they assumed she got the abortion. So three weeks later, there was a rental car that was found 650 miles away from Atlanta, Georgia. And it had traces of blood in it, um, but she was nowhere to be seen. And this rental car was also in her name. Yes. And apparently okay. this car had been just sitting there for three or four days. And some of the local residents said that they saw a man in his 30s park the car there, um, go to the trunk and grab a duffel bag, and he got out of there. And this, this man has never been identified. Three months later, Hajju was arrested for impersonating a physician. And um, after that, he jumps bail, and his whereabouts were unknown. No one knew what happened to him. And they think that he may know what happened to Judith Himes. So after they arrested the doctor, nothing else came of it, so they kind of entered the investigation. And nothing, you know, it was stale and stagnant till, for 25 years until Captain Chuck Shear um, was attending a police narcotic lecture in Nebraska, and he had a speaking engagement. Captain Chuck Shear worked for Coral Gables Police, and he had no knowledge of Judith's case. But two days after his lecture, Captain Shear gets a long-distance phone call, and the call is a guy saying that his name is Steve Brown, and he's the host of a talk Dude, show in Omaha. This is where it gets weird. It's so weird. He's like, he's like, I run this talk show. It's pretty famous. And then he says that um, he has information on Judith Himes and what happened to her. And then Captain Shear asks if um, – he's like, can I have your number so I can call you back and do you have the number of this person who told you this? And he says, yes, yes, yes. And then when he calls back days later, he calls this guy named Steve Brown in Nebraska and Steve says he didn't make the calls and he's like, that's my number and it's not listed. Nobody has it. Private unlisted number. Yeah, he's like, nobody has my number and I definitely didn't call you and tell you that somebody called me and told me about evidence. I, I, they didn't even emphasize – if he was a radio DJ, I guess he was, No, he right? was. He really was. Yeah. So someone just kind of used his name, like, um, yeah. But they had his personal number, and he thought that was pretty weird. It is I weird. had to watch it a couple times to understand what was going on. So someone pretended to be him. Yeah. And called the cops, I guess. So two days after that, Shear gets another weird call. And it's a fucking creepy lady oh, voice saying, dude, this was weird. saying, Judy Himes is alive and she lives in Omaha. Judy Himes is alive and she lives in Omaha. Like twice like that. Real creepy. Real creepy. Nothing comes of that either. Fall 1989. There was an article written about the case in the newspaper. So they got it a little more attention. That's when Captain Shear receives another weird phone call. This one it makes least sense to me, actually. Um, the person said he was an informant for the FBI, didn't give his name and said that he had just spent weeks with Haju in Hungary, the George Haju, the illegal abortion doctor. Um, the number that he gave checked out and Interpol did say that it came from Hungary, but they think it's highly unlikely that he had anything to do or he was responsible for these phone calls. So like, it's just, it was a weird coincidence. I guess this is weird. I don't know. Stuff all of a sudden starts rearing its head again after all these years. So nobody knows who placed these anonymous phone calls. It's weird that if she would have just left for 25 years because she was embarrassed of an abortion, you know? Yeah. If she's still alive. Um, basically, there sort of is an update, but they don't get into it because it's so weird and dark. Like, four days after the broadcast of Unsolved Mysteries, an unsigned letter was sent to the Coral Gables Police Department, and it stated that she died from complications during the abortion, like the abortion something went wrong and that her body was dumped in Biscayne Bay, which is near Miami. Um, they never found a body, but the cops, I don't know, there's some reason um, that they think that this letter is legitimate. This story makes sense, you know? Like, this guy fucking fucks up. He kills somebody. He kills one of these patients. Yeah, He's and it's illegal, and it's like, we got to get rid of this body. Yeah. Blood in the back seat. So, yeah, it makes sense. Draw your own conclusions, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's not re- it. It's not really. Yeah, it's just kind of like a just a story of sad circumstances, you know. What's so weird is that all these cases today about weird phone calls out of nowhere. Uh, that case with the guy calling in and saying that uh, he stabbed this girl, but then being cleared after all. Yeah, that, that was weird. Uh, it's very odd. Um, but yeah, lots of unsolved mysteries today, for sure. So, George Aju has never been located or arrested. Um, Steve Brown, the radio host, passed away in 2008. Um, they do think that the letter was legit, that she probably died during complications due to the abortion, and that the Nebraska calls were probably just a cruel, sick prank, and that's pretty much all the other info that the unsolved wiki gives us yeah so we may never know uh what's going on next week Eli? Oh, man, next week i'm really excited about so we have the first case is a crazy mystery about a girl who reportedly being stalked and had several altercations with this unknown or unknown assailants uh one and multiple she ends up mysteriously murdered but for the last six years the cops are undecided because there's really no evidence showing is she doing it herself does she really have a stalker i don't know um huh dude it's crazy it's really crazy and then uh, so you you saw this episode already yeah it's really good and then we're also going to be talking about a really strange encounter that uh car full of people have, and suddenly after the sighting, they become, um, I don't want to say sick, but they start having some weird effects on their body. Yeah, it's like an X-Files. Yeah, yeah, very, very X-Files. We're also going to be talking about a weird kind of urban legend, um, about an alternate um, version of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And we're also going to be discussing a Lost Loves episode, or a Lost Loves case. Um, oh, obviously, another woman is trying to find her siblings. But Aww. the first two cases are extremely good. I've already watched them. I'm really anxious to get into them. I wish we could do it right now. But... Hell Yeah! Uh, stay with us next week, guys. Um, we're rocking 2019 Horde. Uh, like always, we're the Stack Pack on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, we're most active on uh, Instagram if you want to come and join us over there for the party. Uh, I'm David Howe at DaveyHowell, D-A-V-Y-H-L-W.
1: Road underscore Dan And Big Bad Final Den
0: for every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening. And perhaps that someone is going to call the FBI three minutes after listening to this episode. Um, and perhaps that someone is you. I don't know. All right, guys. See you next week. Cheers. Be sure to tip your bartenders.